Hello, and welcome to our Grains Convoy podcast series, brought to you by the Department of Primary Industries and Regional Development. These short podcasts aim to assist grain growers by delving deeper into our research projects that target crop protection, crop production, soils and genetics in broadacre crops. I'd like to acknowledge the Noongar people on the land I am recording this podcast, and the Aboriginal people of the many other lands Deep Herd operates. I'd also like to pay my respects to Elders past, present and emerging. My name is Cindy Webster and I'm a research agronomist based at Deep Herd's Narragin office. Harvest has begun in WA and today I'm asking research scientist Svetlana Michich, who is based in Deep Herd Albany and Dr Benjamin Congdon based in Deep Herd South Perth for a summary of insect and associated virus activity that was experienced in the WA Grain Belt this season and what it could mean for 2023. First off, I'm interviewing entomologist Svetlana Michich from the Deep Herd Albany office. Welcome to the podcast, Svet. Thank you very much, Cindy. Svet, you have been interviewed in a couple of our podcasts now on various entomology topics, and you have almost 20 years of experience working in the broadacre entomology field. What made you choose to become a broadacre entomologist? That's actually a really funny question because everyone keeps asking me, are you going to stay becoming a broadacre entomologist? And the reason I did get into it is that it's a fun field. So out of all the fields in entomology, it really is fun when you're a field entomologist working in agriculture. And I fell into broadacre because I was mentored by a very good mentor here in the department, Phil Michael. And that's really one of the main reasons I became a broadacre entomologist was just having a great mentor who was so enthusiastic about the agriculture and the insect pests that do affect our agriculture and just how much fun it actually is working outside as well as having inside work. But really, it's so much fun being outside in the paddock and also being able to look at stopping our different pests in their tracks and not only with just a spray but also with um, other cultural controls which pests don't develop resistance to. Fantastic. And Svet, with your work, you are leading insect surveillance projects for the pests, Russian wheat aphid, red-legged earth mite and snails. What were your main findings this season for those pests? Oh, this has been a massive year. Um, Red-legged earth mite caused a headache for most of the growers in the southern part of our state. And this led to our resistance testing service having a nearly a 50% increase in demand for our services. And this is predominantly due to the fact that we had canola being sown at the same time that peak red-legged earth mites hatching occurred. So red-legged earth mites need temperatures of below 20 degrees and a rainfall event to initiate hatching. And you need to have these temperatures occur over a five-day period. And it just happened to coincide with canola germination And in many cases, it really just was that the uh, insecticide seed dressings just didn't cope with a peak hatching of red-legged earth mite. And in some cases, some of the sprays didn't actually work and that became down to the conditions that were in the paddock at the time. So in some cases, yes, it definitely was resistance and that's the reason the sprays didn't work. But in other cases, it actually was the fact that you needed more green plant material for efficacy of these sprays to occur. So it's been very interesting because you needed to know whether your uh, mites were resistant or not in a timely fashion to be able to put the sprays on at the right time. And we did struggle with our testing service to give uh, agronomists that 
straight answer but the good thing is that if collections occurred on a Monday we've got an answer to an agronomist on the Friday. <laughs> so we're hoping that 2023 that uh, the results from our testing will have informed some growers if they don't have resistance to really look at their spray practices and for those that do have resistance they are really going to be limited in their control options that they actually do have. And what have you heard or seen with broadacre snails this year? So early on we had no reports of snails causing damage to germinating crops. Um, On the flip side though, we did have loads of reports of slugs causing damage to germinating crops and this caught quite a few people out because we'd had such a hot, dry summer. And in terms of that, because we had such a hot, dry summer, everyone expected mollusk pests to be really quiet and to have died. Didn't work for slugs. The rains basically caused slugs to cause quite a bit of damage to germinating crops, especially those that hadn't been baited. With snails, it's only now that we're actually getting quite a few reports, mainly in the southern regions of snails and not causing any damage, but being present up in heads and causing grain contamination issues. Unfortunately, at this time of year, there's absolutely nothing that can be done to control snails that have moved up into heads and are posing contamination issues. But the Stirlingster Coast farmers have done a number of projects on how to remove snails from grain. Um, They've also been able to look at a number of different costings of different methods to remove snails. So our Department of Ag website links to a number of uh, GRDC, Sterling to Coast and our own research that talks about the different things we've looked at to get snails out of grain. And has the Russian wheat aphid, which is a relatively new pest to WA, been a problem this year? Russian wheat aphid has been very minor and again we had such a hot dry summer with very little green bridge around the landscape so that meant that because we didn't have a green bridge we didn't have a lot of aphid movement early however what we did find is that many of our growers who had issues in previous years used seed dressings and in our trials what we found is that if you have Russian wheat aphid and you have used a seed dressing you get less colonisation of crops that have had seed dressings used and that's insecticidal seed dressings. However this year we do know that the Russian wheat aphid was on the move because it's been found now all throughout our broadacre growing regions from Esperance to Geraldton and it only reached Geraldton this year so what we can expect is that it will be present and In areas where you do have a green bridge and you don't use the seed dressing are probably more at risk of Russian wheat aphid. So in addition to these pests, what were the other main insects that you have been discussing with WA growers and consultants this season? Well, I mentioned slugs earlier and I think that's probably well worth another mention because everyone was thinking that slugs had just suddenly moved in but they're a resident pest and they don't actually move. They're present in and on paddocks and what happens is in the years that they're not controlled, they can uh, increase in number and they can move to other spots on farms. It really comes down to where slugs are present right now and this is at harvest time, is where they will be present next year and that can sometimes be a bit of a different spot. This year we've had a lot of reports of diamondback moths present in the landscape, so this is the adult moth flying around. However, in some areas it didn't lead to really high numbers of caterpillars being found in paddocks. 
whereas in others we had caterpillars being present in canola at threshold levels from late winter into spring and that's meant it's been a bit of a headache for some growers because you can only spray twice in a season with certain insecticides for diamondback moth and we do recommend not using insecticides which we know diamondback moths are resistant to and we know that diamondback moths will develop resistance quite easily to insecticides so we recommend only spraying if you absolutely had to. Um, however this year what we had was crops that at, were at threshold for diamondback moths uh, for completely potted canola however they also had put out flowering spikes um, for another flush of flowers to, because there'd been a rainfall event and we found that the diamondback moths were feeding all on those flowers and quite a few agronomists were having to make a few hard decisions about whether to control the diamondback moth to try and preserve those flowering spikes to increase yield in the crop or whether to uh, just walk away because uh, the potting parts of the plant weren't at risk. We have also done some native budworm moth trapping surveillance this season. Is there anything that you'd like to say about the native budworm moth activity this year? We did have flights of native budworm that did occur quite early. It has been a bit of a hit and miss, as always, with traps that do capture um, moths based on pheromones is that even though you can capture a large flight of moths, it doesn't mean that the crop that's right next to that large flight of moths is going to be where the eggs are laid. So they can be a little bit patchy in where they're laying their eggs. However, growers and agronomists this year were actively monitoring and native budworm were found at pretty low levels. I don't know that many crops had to be sprayed for native budworm this year, but they were definitely present at lower levels than diamondback moth. And Svet, we have mentioned residential pests. Um, what other residential pests might be likely to pop up in the same areas of the Green Belt next season, do you think? This all comes down to what you had present in your paddocks over winter and spring. So resident pests are those that don't fly in. They're present year in, year out. So we're looking at your weevil species like desiantha or vegetable weevil. Desiantha weevil has a strong association with grasses, whereas vegetable weevil has a strong association with broad-leafed crops such as capeweed. And if those weeds are controlled, you do tend to decrease the incidence of pests like desiantha and vegetable weevil. Um, however, we do have other ones that are a little bit more difficult. I think I've been mentioning slugs throughout this podcast and that's simply because they've been top of mind because a lot of growers who have burnt were expecting that burnt paddocks would have less incidence of a number of pest species. However, burning doesn't control slugs. It can control snails, but it doesn't necessarily control slugs and that's also uh, when you have a burnt paddock and germinating crops, the Pests are attracted to the germinating crop because there's very little else around the paddock for them to eat. Uh, this year has also been a one where we've had uh, slaters again being a bit of an issue and it comes down to again burning, not controlling slaters if you've got cracking clays because in the cracking clays they will survive a burn quite easily. 
European Earwig is another one where control measures are limited to a registered bait and this particular species in some years is not as um, prevalent and this is one of the years where we didn't have very many reports but that's because it was so wet and they don't really like a wet season. But if we have next year a dry season, that's possibly going to be a problem. So paddocks that have had a history of earwigs will still have them present. If we have summer rainfall and we get a green bridge to harbour insects over this coming summer into the beginning of next season, what impact will that have on pest activity? It all comes down to what the conditions are coming into winter. So if we have a green bridge, we will have pests that need a green bridge to survive present in our landscape. So aphids can't, our pest aphid species in broadacre cropping can't survive in the absence of their plant hosts. Green bridge provides those plant hosts. It provides the aphids uh, with the means to be in the landscape before the uh, crop is germinating. And it's the same with dumbback moths. They also can't live in the absence of their plant host. And if there's any brassicas in the landscape, they'll be on those. And we do know that aphids and dumbback moths can move into paddocks where they're, you know, the green bridge is in close proximity. But the other thing to bear in mind is that if a green bridge is present in the actual paddock, you do help uh, your pest species survive. So slugs and snails will are um, better able to survive where there's green plant material. Uh, same with European earwigs and also with your uh, weevil species because green plants provide a harbourage over from the hot, dry sun. Thank you very much for your time, Svet. No worries. Hopefully that helps, Cindy. I'm now chatting with virologist Dr. Benjamin Ben Congdon, who has also been interviewed previously in the Grains Convo podcast series regarding his green peach aphid and turnip yellows virus findings this season. Welcome back to the podcast, Ben. Yeah, thanks, Cindy. Ben, you have studied and worked in the plant virus field for almost 10 years. Why did you choose to work with broadacre insects and plant viruses? Yeah, so I finished my um, honours project after my undergrad back in 2012, and then I went back to the farm for a little bit to work in the shearing shed and I was kind of, I guess, to be honest, at a bit of a loose end and a PhD opportunity came up with um, Dr. Roger Jones um, or Professor Roger Jones from UWA on um, these things called plant viruses and I I sort of knew a little bit about them but obviously I'd sort of studied other pathogens and yeah, I I started doing it and and slowly got a bit of passion for it and um, finished my PhD around 2016, 2017 and then started working working for DEPA, doing research in the plant virology and, and the aphid field. And Ben, you are leading a deep herd boosting grains project in WA that is testing an early warning system for turnip yellows virus outbreaks in Australian canola crops. One of the components of this project has been surveying green peach aphid activity and turnip yellows virus infection across WA canola crops during the earlier growth stages. Can you briefly describe the aphid and virus activity that has occurred this season? Yeah, so green peach aphid were around pretty much everywhere fairly early this season in the canola, but they weren't, for the majority of them, weren't carrying turnip yellows virus. Um, And this reflected low levels of spread by um, the beginning of flowering, which is the critical time point in terms of yield losses from turnip yellows virus, particularly in the Kunana West Zone and the Geraldton Zone where we we had our traps uh, and, and also in Esperance. 
But in, down on the south coast, uh, there was a couple of cases of significant um, turnip yellows virus spread. And th- this was interesting because earlier in the growing season, or before the growing season, in fact, we were testing some of the um, forage brassicas that were being grown, and they had high levels of infection. And when we had traps nearby one of those particular forage brassicas crops, um, we detected a lot of green bee chaffid coming out of them, carrying turnip yellows virus. So does this provide an indicator for next season? Should growers and consultants expect similar aphid and turnip yellows virus hotspots in the same locations? So generally not in WA for the, for the reason that the system kind of resets because we have such a hot, dry summer and Greenbridge, there's not much of a Greenbridge. Usually it starts building up back again in autumn. Sometimes obviously summer rain changes that. But the, the use of the summer forage brassicas is a, a bit of an exception because that is a um, opportunity for the, the virus and the aphid to, to be harboured over the non-cropping season. And so canola crops, spring canola crops um, sown near those crops could be at higher risk um, next season. Okay, and thank you so much for your time, Ben. All right. You have just listened to Svetlana Michich and Dr Benjamin Congdon from Deep Herd provide a summary of broadacre pest and virus activity in 2022 and potential activity for next season. Insect and virus activity that was reported to the PestFax WA team this season can also be viewed on the PestFax WA map on the Deep Herd website. The Deep Herd website also has information about managing the green bridge to minimise pests and disease survival over summer. If you like this podcast, you can download and subscribe to Deep Herd's Grains Convo podcast series on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. My name is Cindy Webster and thank you for listening.